We are finishing up three months of before and after. We've been talking about how our life looked three months ago and being intentional about being transformed and learning to study better and not just to study better, but to be transformed by the way that we study the Bible. We talked about praying better, but again, not just praying better, but being transformed by the way that we pray. And this month we've been focusing on transforming the way that we serve so that our lives are transformed. We've talked at length about how the Bible doesn't talk about how love feels, but what love looks like. And love looks like what? Service, right? Love looks like service. And so in that regard, we've talked about three things. Let's kind of review real quick. Number one, do the most for those who can do the least for you. Do the most for those who can do the least for you three weeks ago. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about respond kind and not in kind. I think there's actually a slide that kind of goes along with this. So respond kind, not in kind. Don't do to others what they did to you, but respond with love. And then third, we talked about unity requires the strong to become servants of the weak. Unity requires the strong to become servants of the weak. It's not that human beings are naturally bad at loving and serving people, is it? I think that human beings are naturally good at loving and serving people. I mean, after all, a mom doesn't have to be told very much to know that she should love and take care of her child. A man should know that he should love and take care of his wife and his kids and even as neighbors and as fellow citizens of the same country or the same uh, group or the same tribe. We know that we should love and take care of each other, that we should serve each other. Human beings are naturally pretty good at loving and serving others, but we tend to simply love and serve the people who are like us, don't we? We tend to love and serve the people in our family or in our neighborhood or in our city or in our tribe or in our country. We love and serve the people who are like us. And our natural tendency on the flip side is to ignore or perhaps even mistreat those who are not like us. Doesn't human history bear that out? Doesn't human history bear out the fact that human beings in our natural state, we love and take care of the people that are like us and the people that are different from us, we ignore them at best. And at worst, we mistreat them, sometimes enslave them, and many times kill them. Why? Because we don't understand them or because we're afraid of them or because they're not in our group or maybe the interests of their group are at odds with the interests of our group and we love and protect the people like us and we ignore and mistreat the other people. And we've been talking about at length that Jesus came to change all of that, didn't he? He came to change us into people who love and serve everyone. But in order to do that, it's not just that Jesus came to give us more laws, right? We weren't even good at keeping the other laws. Jesus didn't just come to say, do more and work harder. He came to empower us. He came to transform us. Not only by what he did on the cross, but by the sending of God's spirit to dwell within his 
people. So we're going to look this morning at the book of Galatians. I'm not sure. We're going to have, have slides maybe? I don't know. Maybe. It's okay if we don't. It's all printed in your Bible for your convenience. So, okay, yeah, looks like we will. Good. Okay, so let's talk about the book of Galatians for just a few minutes. If you're not familiar with that book, I want to encourage you in, the, in just a few minutes, or we'll have about a three-hour sermon. I hope that's okay. Um, just kidding. Uh, but, but in 30 minutes, I can't really cover an entire book, but I want to whet your appetite so that you go home and that you really dig into a great book like this. Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, is an ambassador for King Jesus. That's kind of the best way to think about it, I think, that Paul is an ambassador for King Jesus. Jesus isn't just the Savior of the world. He is the Savior, but he is the Savior King of the world. When Paul says Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. It means God's anointed King, that Jesus is the Savior King of the world. And so Paul is being sent out to the non-Jewish people of the world, the Gentile people of the world by King Jesus to go and tell these non-Jews about this Jewish Savior King who is going to transform humanity into a new humanity. And so Paul goes out and on one of his first ambassador trips, his first missionary trips to the southern region of Galatia, there are several non-Jewish people who put their faith in the Savior King, Jesus, and become followers of Jesus. They're clothed with Jesus in baptism, Galatians chapter 3. But then after Paul leaves and he goes back to Antioch, he, he finds out that some people have crept in and are teaching false things to these Christians, these non-Jewish Jesus followers in Galatia, and people are teaching them, listen, In order to be a part of God's family, what really needs to happen is you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of Moses. That's really what makes you a part of the family of God is circumcision. Essentially, you need to become Jewish in order to be a follower of Jesus. In order to be a part of God's covenant family, that's what needs to happen. Paul was furious. I mean, Galatians is one of the harshest books in the New Testament. He is so mad, and he writes them this letter to say, if you accept this, if you accept circumcision and keeping the law as the way to be right with God and as the means of being a part of God's covenant family, then essentially what you're saying is that Jesus and what he did on the cross means nothing. What you're saying is nothing has changed. He's not against circumcision, and he's not against the law of Moses. He says those things were from God. They were good, but they were for a purpose. They were to bring people to the point of Jesus' coming. And now that Jesus, the Savior King, has come, everything has changed. Everything is different. But to pretend that the way of becoming a part of God's family is through circumcision and keeping the law is tantamount to saying that it makes no difference that Jesus came. And Paul says, you cannot accept this. In fact, if anybody's preaching to you this message, let them be eternally condemned, he says. Now, I realize this is a very different argument than what's going on with us today. I don't know anybody that's still having this same argument that whether or not circumcision makes you a part of God's family or what, whatever like that. But I was thinking, you know, don't we tend to do the same thing? It may not be circumcision, but don't we 
as religious people, always try to find some outward thing to mark us as the real people of God, the people that have it together, the people that are godly. It may just be the way that we dress, huh? I, I mentioned ties in the last hour. I mentioned that because I wasn't wearing one, but I, I mentioned ties. Somebody said it made me feel guilty. I feel like I should pull my tie out. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with a tie. There's nothing wrong with not having a tie. There's nothing wrong with a man wearing a jacket or not wearing a jacket. There's nothing wrong with a man wearing slacks or wearing blue jeans. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There is something wrong with attaching spiritual significance to those things. There is something wrong with taking some outward appearance thing and attaching spiritual significance to it as if that is the marker of being God's covenant people. Now, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? We have a tendency to find some outward thing that in and of itself, it's not right or wrong, but attach spiritual significance to it and say, if I do this, I'm a godly person. If I look like that, or if I have this, or I present myself in this way, I'm a godly person. We say things, I've heard it my whole life, the the suit makes the man, right? We say things like that, or you just feel different when you're wearing these clothes. Absolutely no argument. What's that feeling? Pride. That's what it is, isn't it? And we have a tendency to take that and to stroke that pride. Stoke the fires of that pride. We're doing the exact same thing that they were doing with the issue of circumcision. Again, there was nothing wrong with being circumcised or not being circumcised, but there was something wrong with attaching spiritual, religious significance to whether or not a Christian was circumcised or not, whether he was keeping the Sabbath or not, whether or not he was celebrating the Passover or doing the other things of the law of Moses. Paul says those things are gone. They serve their purpose. They were to bring us to Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, if you sow to those fleshly things, the results are going to be, and we've seen it, haven't we? What happens when we, when we take those outward trappings of religion and make those the marks of true spirituality and godliness and we say, that's what it is? Does it make us get along better? If we say true Christians wear this or true Christians wear that or true Christians look like this, does it make us get along better or do we get along worse and fight more and squabble more? And Paul says, you see, that, that's what's happening is you're sowing to the flesh. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's look at the text. Galatians 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when I was growing up, we didn't talk a lot about the Spirit. Um, and, And I think that sometimes when we talk about the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the work of God's Spirit in the church. Sometimes we we do so in a way that's different than what the New Testament talks about it. And, and then I think there are some that just don't talk about Him at all. And I think both are a shame. I, I think that a lot of what the New Testament says about the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was talking to His apostles, He was saying that the Spirit was going to bring them knowledge and was going to bring them information. And then when Paul talks to the church, us Christians, about the work of the Spirit, He primarily focuses on strength and power. You see, there's the two different ways of living your life. 
When Paul says walk by, it means live your life in this way. You can walk by the Spirit or you can walk by the flesh. And when he says flesh, he's not just talking about your skin. It's kind of a metaphor. It means your weakness, your corruptibility, the natural way of doing things. Like I said, people have a natural tendency to love certain people and to abuse other people. People have a natural tendency to serve some people and to ignore other people. That's your flesh. That's your weakness. That's your corruptibility. But the Spirit of God came to dwell in His people to strengthen us and empower us to overcome the weakness of our flesh. And Paul says, listen, you can either walk by the power and the strength of the Spirit or you can walk in the weakness of your flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. These are two diametrically opposed ways of living out your religion. And when he says the flesh, he isn't just talking about people that are living grossly immoral lives. He's talking about the religious folk who are trying to convince them that in order to be Christians, they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. They need to have the externals, the fleshly, the appearance of godliness. And Paul says, listen, when you live that way, when you walk that way, when you think that interacting with God and being part of God's people is about that, then you will not please the Spirit. But when you realize that being with God is about giving your allegiance, your faith, your trust to King Jesus and allowing His Spirit to strengthen and empower you and to walk in the power of His Holy Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you're familiar with Romans, you probably remember Romans chapter 7, where Paul goes through and he says, listen, when I was just living by the law, there were things that I wanted to do the right thing, the good thing, the thing I knew I should do, but I didn't do it. And the things that I knew, don't do that, that's wrong, don't do that. I ended up doing the very things I didn't want to do. You see, when we live by the flesh, we we don't have the power and the strength to do the things that we know we should do, the things that we want to do. But when we're empowered by the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Now look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, let's pay special attention to these, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the works of the flesh and they are Evident. Now, at first glance, you say, well, what does one have to do with the other, right? Isn't there a big difference between sexual immorality and drunkenness and things like enmity and strife, jealousy, fits of anger? Those are two very different things, isn't it? But Paul says, no, they're not different at all. They come from the same place. They all come from the same place. 
That when you walk by the flesh, this is the result. This is the way things end up. There are two different ways of living your life. You can either live your life in the natural way, the way that seems right, the way that feels right, the way the people around you are living. You can give your allegiance to the same kind of things that everybody else gives their allegiance to. That kind of hits home, doesn't it? You see, when you do that, when you pitch your tent in the same place your neighbors pitch their tent, when you sow your seed in the same field your neighbors are sowing their seed, when you live like your next-door neighbor and you have the same loyalties and allegiances that your neighbor has, when you live by the flesh, in the natural, weak way of living human life, then these are the results, aren't they? Don't we look at our world and we see this everywhere? This is the result of living your human life in your own weakness, by your own power, by your own tendency towards corruption. And isn't it true? Don't we, don't we look at the news and we see people and we think, well, I thought that person was an upstanding person. I thought that person was good. I thought this person was great. And we find out that human beings have a tendency to be sexually immoral and impure and sensual and idolatrous and sorceress and have enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. And he says, don't you see that that when you are convinced that in order to be a Jesus follower, you basically just have to move your tent over to the Jewish side and be circumcised and, and keep the law of Moses and to be concerned about those outward things... Don't you see that you're, you're, you're playing the same game that you were playing before? But Jesus came so that you could be a totally different kind of human being. No longer limited to what you can do in the flesh. No longer limited by your natural weaknesses. No longer limited by your natural tendencies and proclivities. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit, and I love that word, right? Fruit, where do you go to get fruit? You go to the produce section, right? You go to the produce section. The fruit, or in other words, the produce of the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, here's what the Spirit produces in your life. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not, not just in some situations with some people, but, but in the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, this can be the life that you have. A life that is marked by unnatural, unfleshly type of love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That is the power of the Spirit working in a people. Is that this is what the people begin to look like. It's not that anyone is perfect yet, or that their their fruit is fully formed yet, but these things can begin to be seen in God's people. You see? That the mark of being God's people is not circumcision. The mark of God's people is not the food that they eat or don't eat. 
The mark of God's people is not the clothes that they wear or don't wear. The mark of being God's people is that the fruit of God's Spirit can be seen in them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control, Paul says, against such things, there is no law. You don't have to worry about violating the law of Moses because you you don't even want to anymore. Why? Because you're not walking in the flesh. You're walking by the power and the strength of God's Holy Spirit. Do, Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that the Spirit of God dwells within His people? Do we pray what Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians? For the church at Ephesus, that we be strengthened in our inner being by God's Holy Spirit so that He can dwell in us by faith. Do we pray for that? I'm afraid all too often we don't. We just kind of live our lives the way everybody else lives our life. And then these things like jealousy and envy and fits of anger and divisions. They can be seen in us. They're evident even in us. Why? Because Paul says, because you're not walking in the power of the Spirit, because the Spirit will strengthen us to start to overcome those weaknesses of the flesh. Isn't that good news, church? Isn't it good news that Jesus didn't come just to say, be better, do better, stop hurting each other. Stop being mean to each other and just give us more rules to live by. We had rules before. And isn't that what Paul's saying? He said, do you you really think, I mean, really, I mean, come on now. Do you really think that getting circumcised is going to help you live this better life? How? And do we really think that? Do we really think that if I put on a suit jacket that I'm going to be a better Christian than if I didn't have one on? Do I really think that some external fleshly thing is going to change whether or not I have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Paul says the more that you think that it's a matter of circumcision or not circumcision, the more these things of the flesh will be evident in you and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you walk by the Spirit, this will be what your life looks like. This is what God's Spirit will produce in you. Now look at chapter 6. I promise I'm getting close to the end. Now that I got to our main text. Okay, Galatians 6, verse 7. We ate enough on Thursday, right? We don't need to go to lunch. See, I told you I wasn't funny today. Okay, Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I mean, you don't have to be a farmer to understand that, right? I mean, if you sow a kernel of corn, what's going to grow from it? Corn, right? You're not going to get wheat from a kernel of corn. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're going to plant one thing and and get another. You're not going to sow one thing and reap another. Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's what all of this is. This external stuff, circumcision or uncircumcision and eating this, don't eat that, wearing this, don't wear that. All of this, if you sow to that, if you plant your seed in that field, what's going to, what's going to be harvested in that field is corruption. 
That the, the evidence of the works of the flesh are going to be seen in you. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're going to sow one thing and reap another. That's not how it works. These are two different ways of interacting with God. These are two different ways of being a human being. These are two different ways of thinking about being God's people. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And isn't that the whole point of everything he says in this book? And again, go back and read Galatians 1-6. through That this is what it is. Give your allegiance to King Jesus. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. And he will justify you and make you right with God and make you a part of God's holy people. That when you're clothed with Jesus, you become an heir of Abraham. Do you know that? Do you know that that God considers us that are in Jesus Christ to be the true Israel? Galatians chapter 6. We are the Israel of God. We are the followers of the Savior King, Jesus. And it's not about the Torah, and it's not about circumcision, and it's not about feasts, and it's not about this, and it's not about that. It's about giving your allegiance to Jesus. And that when we give our allegiance to Jesus and we're baptized into Him, His Spirit comes and dwells in us, and He empowers us to live a different kind of life. And the result of that, the harvest of that, is eternal life. He equips us and empowers us and gifts us with the greatest gift you could possibly imagine, an abundant life in this life and in the one to come. Verse 9, And let's not grow weary of doing good, of doing what's right, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We're not there yet, are we, church? I'm not there as an individual. You're not there as an individual. We're not there as a group yet, but we're planting, right? And there's going to be a harvest Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Now that's pretty simple. I know today's lesson may be a little bit deeper than most, but that's pretty simple, isn't it? Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You will not do good to everyone if you walk by the flesh. You will not do good to everyone. If you walk by the flesh, it is only when you walk by the spirit of God and you allow him to strengthen you, teach you through his word, empower you that in your life will be evident love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And even if we can only see just the beginnings of those things becoming evident in our life, that our love is for everyone and especially for those of the household of faith. And think about what that means for Paul's audience in Galatia. He says, listen, do good to everyone, regardless of their their, stat, their stature in the society and their culture. Do good to everyone, regardless of where they come from. But do good especially to your brothers and sisters, your brethren who are Jewish and your brethren who are Gentile. And for us, Your brethren who are white and your brethren who are black and your brethren who are rich and your brethren who are poor, your brethren who are Republican and your brethren who are Democrat, your brethren who vote and your brethren who don't vote, do good to everyone. If you walk in your own natural tendencies as 
the rest of humanity does? If you greet only those who greet you, if you love only those who love you, Jesus says, what more do you do than the Gentiles? That's the normal humanity. When we were baptized into Jesus, we were supposed to be reborn by the water and the Spirit. And we must walk by the Spirit if our life is going to produce, if the Spirit is going to produce in our life His fruit. And I don't know about you, but i got a long way to go. So let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's not grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. Let's not grow weary in walking by the Spirit. Let's keep going, church, so that in the end we can harvest a harvest of eternal life as a gift from God the Father through the Son and through His Holy Spirit. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't been buried with Jesus and become a part of the family of God. I'd encourage you make that decision today. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Our elders would love to meet with you after services in one of these rooms in the back. You can come forward. We're in this together, striving to be a new humanity where we do good to everyone. If we can help you, come forward as we stand and sing.